0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen.
1: Let's turn to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 2. And we're not going to read the whole part, but this is on the day of Pentecost, and uh, it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Peter explaining what that means and talking about how Christ was crucified by the people in front of him, the large crowd in front of him. And at verse 36, he says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I'm going to look at these words. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, um, it's interesting actually when I'm standing up and I, there are people who I now can't see up in the balcony, which is a bad idea. Um, <laughs> so you, you can't look people in the eye, but I've got spies. up. They'll tell me if you're sleeping. Um, but it's great that there's so many people here, and, and it's great that there's so many children. And I did want to look at something that is of an absolute, it's an absolute fundamental for us as a congregation. And it is concerning uh, how we treat the children and, and what's involved. And I know that within every fellowship you get people who are kind of going, oh, for goodness sake, the kids again. And especially maybe some people think, well, I don't have any children, or my children are all grown up, and how, how does this apply to me? Well, it applies because it is, it, is, it is hugely significant to Christ, and we are followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a passion, I think, Christ has for the little children, which is not patronizing. It's not just, you know, cute songs It is something that's very real, and uh, some of you will remember. I don't know if the kids are taught this in Sunday school. I hope they are. Very, very simple song that I learned as a child, and I remember as a child, even when I was trying to be an atheist, that um, I was a weird child. Um, Even when I was trying, these words would not get out of my head. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. I was taught from age two not to be a racist, Because Jesus loves all the children. If Jesus loves all the children, how can I dislike any of them? And, you know, you listen to those, you say, "Ah, Jesus loves, isn't that cute? You know, it's like cuddly bunnies at Easter and, you know, Santa Claus at Christmas and Jesus loves the little children. No, no, it's not cute. The love of Jesus is immensely profound and immensely deep. I was hoping uh ended up being in hospital so I wasn't able to do it uh, to do a two-part series on this but Sinclair did the first part and it was great because he took half of my second part as well so uh, I'd like to promise it would be a shorter sermon but it might not be um, but it was fantastic please go and listen to uh, Sinclair's sermon on uh, Jesus encouraging the children the little children to come to him but I do want to say this it's an incredibly hard job to bring up children Children need family and community and discipline. And I've been thinking about that this week even more because I got involved. I don't know why. I got involved in a a debate about smacking. And so all day Thursday and Friday I was answering um, television and radio stations from throughout the United Kingdom and uh, just talking uh, about this and trying to get it away from the particular issue of smacking, which the issue in Scotland at the moment is that you cannot, the law is that you cannot hit a child with an implement on the head or shake them. But there's a proposal that even to tap a child on the hand would be considered assault and would be illegal. Now, I'm not going to get into that debate because people have different views even within the Christian church. Um, But I do want to say this, just two things about it. Um, the off-cited verse from Proverbs 13:24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them, is not an instruction in the Bible to hit your child with a stick. And people who take it that way are, I think, being just really wrong in so many ways. It is a verse that tells us we need to discipline our children. And that is really important, that children are disciplined. And if you wonder... Um, Why is it important? Just go to a school where there's no discipline. Just try being a teacher where there's no discipline. You know, it it is important that our children are disciplined. It's important also that our children are loved. It's important that they are not abused. I'll say this here, and and I'm not picking on anybody because I don't know. But I've been in many churches where years later I've discovered that there were parents who did abuse their children. I have a friend whose job is to work as a social worker with, entirely with, children of strict religious parents who abuse their children. She's a believer, she's a Christian. And some of the stories she tells me are horrendous. And I, I've witnessed it and I've seen it. And I have to say this, if you're a parent and you abuse your child in any way whatsoever and if you dare use the Bible and Jesus Christ to justify that. You are under the most severe judgment when you see how Jesus' attitude to children is. Now, there's hope for you because you need to repent. And all of us as children, when I reflect on bringing up my own three children, I think of the mistakes that I did, the things that were wrong, and you 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 repent of them, and you're thankful that the Lord uh, so often protects us from our own mistakes. But there is no excuse for abusing children in any way whatsoever. And by the way, I'm going to say this here as well. If anyone here is tempted to look at internet pornography, which involves children, don't. Not just because it's illegal, but it's absolutely horrendous. And again, it's something that people need to repent of but there's another kind of abuse and that's neglect and that can occur as well and you know again it's it's this is what we as a covenant community what we need to do people will idolize their children and that's wrong but they must never ever be neglected children are a gift from the lord we want absolutely the best for our children and by our children by the way i don't just mean the parents here if you are part of this fellowship, every child who walked through that door is part of your life. And you and I have responsibilities for them. I, I personally, as minister, as pastor, I feel that responsibility. I must say that I feel even more responsibility for the children than I do for the adults. Because it is, it is essential that they grow up in the covenant community with a, a knowledge of Christ and a positive and loving Experience. We have responsibility, I think, to the children in our area. Um, So many different things. The Aspire Project, and you know, when you go sometimes and you do something like the Discovery Camps or you meet kids um, and people in our congregation here who are working with children who've been abused and neglected. Um, I'll never forget the first time that a medic from this congregation came with me to uh, work with some children, and he was so shocked, and he asked to speak to me afterwards. And he said, David, those three boys who are not behaving, he said, they're malnourished. They're not being fed properly. He said, they're as malnourished as if they were in an a- Ethiopia. And it, it, to him, it was an absolutely shocking thing. And they were malnourished because of neglect. You speak to you and Gerr of the Trussell Trust, and uh, you, you'll hear so many stories of similar things. So we have a concern, not just for the children within the church, but for the children beyond. The words that we are going to look at, though, deal specifically, I think, with children within the church. And we're trying to encourage. I think the best place to bring up a child is in the church. And I think many people who come in and, and who who see how the children are treated kind of say, Well, I want that. I remember one man saying to me, I'd love my children to be brought up in your church but can we just do without the God stuff? (laughs) Okay, and this was an intelligent man too. Um, Calvin says about these two verses that we have in these few words almost the whole sum (coughs) of Christianity, namely how a man renouncing himself and taking his farewell of the world may addict himself wholly to God. Secondly, how he may be delivered by free forgiveness of sins and so adopted into the number of the children of God. And I think this is the most wonderful aspect of all of this. What's the promise that is made? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the promise is, it's a good, it's an announcement. The people who are listening to Peter would have grasped this idea because they themselves were known as the people of the promise. Another word for promise in the Bible is covenant. And it's if you're wanting to understand the Bible, you need to understand the whole concept of covenant, God's covenant between himself and his people. Genesis 6.18, God said to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Genesis 9, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, the covenant with Abraham. Deuteronomy, the covenant through Moses. It's described, Deuteronomy just literally means the book of the covenant. In the New Testament, Jesus gives this idea of the promise, greater clarity, if you like. He explains more what that covenant is. Do not leave Jerusalem, he said to the disciples back in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 4. But wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. And there's that uh, promise that Peter here talks about, this idea. Now, what is this covenant? <clears throat> Excuse me. Genesis 17:7. 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Isaiah 44, 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isaiah 59, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My Spirit who is on you and my words that I put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever. That was the promise in the Old Testament. And yet, as Hebrews tells us, these were all commended for their their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised until this day, the day of Pentecost, when Peter is telling the Jewish believers, this is the promise being fulfilled. Any covenant has conditions, and Peter talks about what these are. Obedience is one of them. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. But the two particularly here are repentance. What is repentance? We, it's, it's a word that gets used in church circles. But what does it really mean? There are three words in the Greek New Testament for repent. In Acts 26 verse 20... It's the idea of going one way and turning round and going another way. So let's say that you're here and you're not a Christian. And you're hearing the words about repentance. Your life is going a certain direction. If you're going to repent, you're going to turn round. You're going to stop going the way that you're going. And you're going to turn and follow the way of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 8, the idea there is one of regret. One of sorrow. And that also is an important part of repentance. You know, when God begins to work in your life, one of the things that happens is this. You'd like to think, if only I received the gift of the Spirit, I would be like one of those Christians that's, you know, I'd be clapping my hands, I'd be dancing, I'd just everything. Well, you want that. We want that. But the Spirit comes, first of all, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And some of the most extraordinary spiritual experiences you will ever have as a Christian is when God shows you what He sees in your heart. And it's sometimes overwhelming. It's when you realize what you've done that's wrong. And you are filled with remorse and you are filled with regret. But it's more than that. It's a genuine repentance it's a genuine sorrow it's it's a it's the kind of thing that's so heartbreaking that you think could I ever be forgiven for this that's what repentance also is but here there's a different word used and here it's about a radical change of mind now they all go together and they all tie in to give us this very full picture of repentance But it's about a new attitude towards sin, a new attitude towards God. So let's say you came in here as the story Jesus told of the Pharisee who came into the temple and said, "Um, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. and I'm not like that tax collector at the back. And I'm, you know, that I do this and I do this and I do that. Did he repent? Did he walk out of that temple justified? No, he didn't. But there was another man who came in and who stood at the back and who beat his breast as a sign of repentance. And who cried, God have mercy on me a sinner. And he went out right with God. And it really is just about this incredible change that occurs. One of the words for repentance is metanoia. And we, you sometimes get a phrase uh, metamorphosis. Where there's, a, there's this incredible change that occurs. I've seen, and I myself... Have done um, many times of regret and remorse, often because you're caught out. You know, it's like the child who gets caught um, nicking something from um, their mum's purse or whatever. And, you know, they get caught and the father's there or the mother's there and uh, you just, suddenly the child bursts into tears. Well, are they bursting into tears? because they've realized what a wrong thing they've done and how, how terrible it all is. No, what they're doing is they're bursting into tears because they got caught, and they think they're going to get in real trouble. Um, I was quite amused to have two. Uh, I've told this story before, but I still think it's the funniest one. Uh, there was a free church minister up in Wick, up in the far north. He had two twin boys, and they were real rogues. I mean, as far as I know, they're still rogues, and they're in their 40s now, but they are just real rogues, and and, uh, I just I loved um, this story that they I can't remember what they did, they put some windows in or something on their street with some stones and catapults and all that so called them into the study this is in the old days, okay so out comes the belt boys, you are in so much trouble and they they looked at their dad and they went dad, don't you think we ought to pray about this first (laughs) and (laughs) He, he hadn't the heart to, to belt them after that. So that was, that was smart kids. Um, but real repentance is just this, this, this just awareness that, that you can't carry on the way that you are. You need to change. And so Peter's saying that. And then he says you need to be baptized. Now, baptism pictured outwardly what was true of those who repented inwardly, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. As he points out, it symbolizes the washing away of our sins and the anointing of the Spirit. It was in the name of Jesus. Here it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you take that with Matthew 28, the triune name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, to the Jews who heard this, this would have been a difficult thing to hear. Why? Because baptism did exist in Jewish culture, but it was for people who were not Jews, It was for people who were not part of the covenant. And when Peter is saying this to the Jews, he's saying, in effect, you're not part of this covenant. You've been circumcised, but now because of what's happened, now because of Jesus coming, now because of Jesus dying, now because of uh, the Holy Spirit coming, this has all been fulfilled. And now you need to receive this new covenant sign or this replacement covenant sign of baptism. Baptized in the name of Jesus, one man puts it, it's by his authority, acknowledging his claims, subscribing to his doctrines, engaging in his service, relying on his merits. That's why it's blasphemy to baptize someone, whether adult or child, who either doesn't believe or their parents don't believe, and you just go through a naming ceremony. If you want a naming ceremony, have one. But baptism is in the name of Jesus. And what we did this morning was very solemn, because Theo and Isaac and Benjamin, they're being dedicated to God. They're receiving the mark of God. Now, I know that, of course, Christians disagree. And we're never, ever going to solve this one until heaven. And then all you Baptists will find out all us Presbyterians were right. Or it might be the other way around. Who knows? Chris is not looking convinced. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's really not the issue. I mean, we're, there are different discussions and arguments about that. And there always have been and there will be. I don't think that's the the main priority. The priority is just saying it is a mark of the covenant. It is a sign of the covenant. Some of us believe that the sign can be received before the thing signified. Others believe that that's not the case. Work that one out um, for yourself. But I think it's, it's important that what parents must do is commit their households to follow the Lord. Joshua twenty four fifteen. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, I think in today's individualistic mentality, we go, how can that be? Come on, that can't be right. You know, my children will make up their own mind when they're of an adult age. No. Think about it. You don't do that. You don't say to your kids, uh, I mean, this is part of the thing, by the way, that was wrong with this whole smacking thing, because whatever you think about the smacking or not, when you've got something premised on the fact that children should be treated exactly like adults, I think you end up abusing and neglecting the children. Ironically, we're now in a society where we expect children to be like adults, and we've got adults who behave like children. Um, You know, I mean, that's, that's the bizarre world in which we are living. But we, we don't say to our kids, well, you can choose whatever you want to eat, and you can choose where you want to live, and you can choose whether you go to school. We don't say that. We choose for them. And what Christian parents are doing for their children is they are choosing for their children to be part of the church and the covenant community, and choosing for them. Now, at some point, the children have to, if you like, appropriate that for themselves, and they can walk away but they are walking away. That's the point. There's a promise here, and this promise you'll know it is for all. It's for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. Now again, I don't have time to go into it, but this was God's covenantal faithfulness extending through the generations um, and to other parts of the world. Now I think what's especially important to note here is Peter is not saying That God extends the promise of salvation to children who put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's true. It's true of everyone. We can go to every child and say, if you trust Jesus, this promise applies to you. But he's specifically addressing those who are Jews here and who will become believers. And what is he saying to them? He's talking about the children of those who repent. And he says, these children are in covenant with God. The Jews listening to this would already have had their children circumcised. They would have understood about the sign of the covenant. But now they're being told that the same promise extends in the era of the new covenant as was the case in the era of the old. I like what Derek Thomas says about this. He says, baptism is not a sign of faith, but to faith. It beckons those who are baptized to place their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It points to Christ and seals his promise Promises as trustworthy. And that's true. Whatever you believe about baptism, the promise comes by faith. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Paul Galatians 3.22. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. You see, the children are growing up in this church. And we're not telling them, you better believe or you're going to hell." That's not how we're bringing them up. How we bring them up is this. We bring them up in the faith and knowledge of God. We live our lives in that faith. And we encourage them to place their faith in God. Now, we will warn them, as we should do about covenant breakers and and, and all the rest of it. But we're bringing them up in a community of love where they experience and know the love of God. And I personally feel this enormously strongly because I've witnessed it and experienced it in my own life where my two oldest children grew up in this church without virtually anybody their own age for a long, long, long time. And I remember particularly my son, who today will be baptizing the first person he's ever baptized. And I remember he went through a phase when he was about 14 years old that there was a lot of pools upon him. And uh, one young student in this church, John Cooper, who's now an elder, befriended him and took him under his wing and mentored him. And that, as a parent, I cannot describe how wonderful that was to witness and to see and the example that it made. And that's what we are looking for. We're not just trying to keep the kids quiet or get them out or, you know, let's have them all ordered, let's have it all, you know, we've got families that they're all like little house in the prairie, you know, they're like these Russian dolls, all dressed exactly the same, all behave perfectly until they get out and then they go chaotic. We're talking about living with messy kids, which is what we are, and messy adults, And the promise comes by faith. It includes teaching. Teach them to your children, says Deuteronomy. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Sunday school is not about telling kids nice stories to keep them entertained. It's part of a process in which parents and others are engaged in teaching children the word of life. And look at the promise. I'd love to go into it in more depth. It's just wonderful. Forgiveness of sins. Peter is saying to these Jewish people, you killed Christ, you crucified Christ. There's nothing worse that you could have done. And yet, here's the promise of forgiveness. The Holy Spirit to regenerate, indwell, unite and transform them. John baptizes with water, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is water. It doesn't do anything to any of the child. And it doesn't matter whether it's Sinclair, me or anyone who does the actual. We don't do anything. It's the Holy Spirit who works. And again, it's the same with an adult baptism or an infant baptism. It's the same principle. It's a sign, but a sign of what? Of God's Spirit working. Please pray for the children to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some, like Jeremiah or John the Baptist, receive that gift in the womb. And others, it may be much, much, much later. I would say to any parent, never give up on any of your children, no matter how disobedient and far away from God you may think they are, until they're dead. And you leave that with the Lord. But never give up. Never stop praying. It's uh, incredible to see how sometimes after decades, what was taught a child in their young years, the Holy Spirit uses to bring them back and we're given eternal life the forgiveness of sins the holy spirit this is what he promised us 1 john 2:25 eternal life who is this for this is for believers and their children it's for all whom the lord our god will call it is a generous and open promise it's throughout The Bible and the New Testament especially. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promised. Without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's a promise that's for everyone here in this church. But it is also for those out with. There are thousands of adults and children in this city. Who at this moment are strangers to the covenants of the promise. And we have such good news for them. At Pentecost, the church went from 120 people to 3,000 because the people responded. I met a man once, an Egyptian um, Coptic priest, who told me that he'd been involved in a baptism of 5,000 people, many of them Muslims. That must have been some service. You know, um, I've been in churches where there hasn't been a baptism for a decade. That's just so sad. But wouldn't you absolutely love it if we had to say, we're going to have to go down to Magdalene Green because there isn't room for all the people who want to be baptized. Why do we think that God cannot do that? I think he can. And I think we should look for God to work, and for God to change people's lives in this community. Let me just come back to this idea of bringing children up in this world, because we're all involved. They're all to be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are, um, in the words of the late Willie Still, to bring up children in faith and not fear, faith that they will become believers rather than fear that they won't. I think sometimes we as Christians can live in a lot of fear. And you know what that's like. Um, Because I've been ill, uh, it's very easy for me in my mind to think when I get a pain in my side or something, oh no, this is all going to go wrong. This is all going to go wrong again. And you can paralyze yourself. By living in that kind of fear. And I I know people who've been through similar illnesses to me. Who are paralyzed. They stay at home. They don't dare go out. Because they're scared. People can be very, very scared. Because they see all the harm and difficulty and trouble in the world. But I want to argue that Christians are not to be like that. That there's to be a joy and a confidence. That's not based upon ourselves. But is based upon Christ. And... You know, it's it's not a a shallow confidence. It's not superficial. It's not wishful thinking. For me, it's just very simple. I haven't a clue. I mean, you're, when you're a new parent, um, again, uh, I hope Becky will forgive me for this, but I, I love my daughter Becky, and uh, we're very very similar, and both of us give the appearance of being incredibly self-confident. And we we know you know we know everything basically, I got an answer for everything, until you have a child, and then you realize you know nothing, nothing. You haven't a clue what to do, really. You know, you know, read And go and read all the manuals you want. It doesn't... Listen, a manual for a car, fine. A manual for bringing up a baby, forget it. You know, it's just... Uh, the state... That's why the state, by the way, can't bring up children. Because you can't do it by the book. You need parents. But parents, tough being a parent. And you realize you can't. And you know what you're doing as a Christian parent? You're not standing up and saying, I'm a Christian parent, so my kids are going to be great. You're, you're holding your kids, and you're just simply saying... I haven't a clue, Lord. They're yours. They're yours. And do you think the Lord will ever turn around and go, no, they're not? No, you you look after them yourself. No. Do you think the Lord goes, well, here's a few principles. No. You're constantly giving them to the Lord. And you do it every day. I mean, I have a prayer mate app thing. Uh, My kids are not on that prayer mate app. I don't need to be reminded to pray for them. Because you do. But I, I think we, ourselves... We need to encourage and just pray for these children. See, for me, at the end of the day, this is all about the one who said, let the little children come to me. They brought the children to Jesus. And that's why, actually, the most vital thing of all is that we come to Christ ourselves. We commit ourselves and our children to him. In the old days... It used to be that so many parents would send their kids to Sunday school because there was nothing else to do and they wanted a lie-in on a Sunday morning or whatever and the kids would go and the church would accept them and all the rest of it. Well, those days are pretty well long gone. But even then, I think that was wrong because the most important thing for those children was that their mom and their dad came to believe and trust in Christ, and the life of that home would be utterly and totally transformed. So actually, whatever your personal circumstances, whether you've got children, whether you've had children, whether you can have children, and that's a different circumstance altogether as well, You know, all the different things that have occurred, whether your children have wandered, whether your children are serving the Lord, whether you've got grandchildren and and so on, you know, the, the same thing applies to us all, that we commit ourselves to Christ, to the God who is good, to the Jesus who does love the little children and we follow Him, and we show, and we reflect that love. We never abuse. We never use. We never exploit adult power over children. We love the children in the same way as Christ did. And if your heart was like mine, watching the three boys being baptized, and the joy in the family, and Sinclair as he baptized as well, then just remember that we share that joy together. And the Lord has been so gracious and so good to us in so many ways. Let's be thankful for that. And let's make sure that this fellowship is a... I I mock the term sometimes, but maybe that's wrong. Let this place be the ultimate safe place for all the children. And let your home be a safe place for children. And let's try and reach out to the children of this city and beyond with the love and the compassion of the Christ who bids them come to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your covenant. We thank you for repentance and baptism and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we bless you, Lord, that that's why we are here, because your Holy Spirit worked in our lives. We pray for any who as yet don't know you, that they would come to know you. And Lord, we pray for our children. We know that children will get sick. We know even that some die young. We know, Lord, that there may be many difficult circumstances for them. And so we commit each and every one into your hands, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are gracious, knowing that you are merciful. And help us, O Lord, to act as your sons and daughters in fulfilling your wishes and your desires for your children. We ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to finish.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org Once again, that website address is solas cpc .org Thanks for listening